Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. Communication tonight, and um, <clears throat> my wife and I have been teaching on relationships the last couple of weeks. I don't know, y'all. I know some of you have been in some of those, and uh, uh, maybe you heard them. We had some communication. She communicated to me. Why don't you teach this one? So, <laughs> for the sake of our relationship, I listen. That is my marital advice to all you husbands: just listen and do what she tells you. That's that's the sum total. These folks, the, the Carsons are here. They taught on, on marital relationships. Is that pretty good, Brother John? Is that listen and do what she tells you? That's pretty. That's pretty good step, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Praise God. All right. So um, Proverbs 18 and 21 says, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue, but those who love it will eat its fruits." Death and life are in the power. So we can speak life, or we can speak things that destroy. James 3 and 8 says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, that sounds like trouble, right? It, it, can, it can do damage or it can do life, but, but we can't tame it. That's why we need the Holy Ghost. You, 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 you need the Holy Ghost because you, you're never going to control your tongue. Like It's not about our own efforts. Um, I probably could end the lesson right there. You need the Holy Ghost? Listen to the Holy Ghost. Um, we're going to talk about what the Bible teaches us, some of the things the Bible teaches us, a lot that it teaches about communication. Uh, the two most important types of communication are between uh, man and God, right? Between, I, wanna, I have to be in communication with God, and also man to man, human to human. Amen. Communication is uh, more than just our ability to talk. I like to talk. Anybody else in here like to talk? But we have to listen, okay? We have to also have to listen. I have a hard time with that one sometimes. Um, and when we communicate with God, the first part of that communication should actually be listening. Right. right? It's going to get quiet, right? Because if we're praying, like most of us, you know, say, ever look at your prayer line and be like, am I listening? <laughs> or am I just, have I just got a laundry list of what I'm telling God he ought to be doing? Um, you know, we can pray, thy will be done, but we don't ask him what that is. So, but God's ways, uh, primary ways are, of communicating with us are through his word and by the Holy Spirit. Romans 10 and 17 says, so faith comes by, comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Right, this is the ESV, the English Standard Version. So it's a little, it's throwing me off a little bit. I, 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 I switch around sometimes, but uh, John 14 and 26 says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Right? So we, we see there, right? We, 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 he speaks to us through his word, but also through his spirit. So God speaks to all believers through the vehicle of the Bible, which is all we need to equip, really to equip us for the, to live as Christians. In order to fully understand God's communication with us, we have to be diligent to read and, and study and memorize and meditate on his word. You never, never get too much of his word. You, know, you, you got it all memorized, Brother Melder? I know you've been studying a long time. Got it all down. Uh, <clears throat> when we try to shortcut that process, and we, we oftentimes do, we... Sometimes people seek these extra biblical revelations, right? We want to hear God's voice. That's not just unscriptural, but it opens us up for deception. Because uh, Pastor McFerrin down in Hayworth one time told me he was listening to somebody who was telling him all these things that God was speaking to them. And, he, and he, they got done telling him all this stuff. And he said, you know, God sounds a lot like you. <laughs> and uh usually if you if you you know sometimes you feel like you got a word and i have you ever felt like that and you're like mm, is that me so what we we can always compare it to god's word that's what we got to look back to the word it's always the ultimate authority 
Um, and, and worse, if we try to listen to kind of these private revelations, uh, that opens us up even to the deception of demons who are always looking for ways into our minds. First Peter 5 and 8 says, be sober-minded and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. How's he going to do that? You think it was, if it was totally obvious, you, you, right? He's not going to be obvious. He's going to give you little ideas and little inklings. And you're like, oh, I think, I think God wants this for me. But it's not, it's not God's will. So we have, to, we have to be rooted in the word. But we also need the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. And, and, and then the function of the Holy Ghost communicating with us is first to convict us of sin. Right? John 16, 7, 11, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer concerning judgment, because the, the ruler of this world is judged. Um, but, it, but he goes on to say that it's also to guide us into all truth. So first is to convict, convict us of sin. And we don't, never should get confused between conviction and condemnation. This isn't my notes, but that's one of the first things somebody taught me. My, my first pastor, I was really struggling when I got in church. I'm like, man, I'm reading the Word, and I see all this stuff, and all I do is feel guilty all the time. And he's like, man, you're walking around condemnation. He goes, that's not from God. But if you feel that conviction, you start to learn to appreciate it. You ever prayed for conviction? Yes. I told a friend of mine that once. She said I was crazy. I said, well, why wouldn't you? That's God correcting me. And I love God's correction. It doesn't always feel good. But I need it. Otherwise, I listen to me. And that's not a great plan <clears throat> most of the time. Um, but John 16, 12 uh, and 13 says... I still have many things to say to you. This is still Jesus talking. He said, I still have a lot of things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And, and you know, that's kind of a, you can think about this just even personally in our own lives, right? The, you felt, you got the, the Holy Ghost talked to you at some point because you repented, Right? We don't repent without that. We don't just decide it's a good idea to repent. It's the, we hear the word and the, and the spirit convicts us. Whether you've been filled with the spirit or not, it can still move you. right? It can influence us. And we feel that conviction. Then we follow the plan of salvation. But we're not done. It now will guide us all into all truth. And when Jesus went away, his disciples were really distressed because they, they lost his... You know, what a comfort it was to have him there. All, you think about all the stuff. You know, we went through the storm. He calmed the storm. We didn't have anything to eat. We had something to eat. Like, at some point, they must have realized, as long as we're with him, we're going to be all right. Now he's saying, yeah, but I'm leaving. I got to go away. <clears throat> but he promised to send the Spirit to comfort them, to console them, and to guide them. And he sends it for us for the same reasons. The Spirit also bears witness to our spirits that we belong to Him. Right? You ever, you ever start kind of feeling that? That's when you start walking around in that condemnation. You start doubting whether you actually belong to Him. His Spirit's going to talk to you and say, you're mine. Stop believing that lie. And it, it assures us of salvation. The Spirit intercedes for us and communicates to God beyond our own communication abilities. Romans 8 26 through 27. So that when we're praying, like sometimes we, we don't even know what we need to say, right? We don't even know what we need to pray. But the Spirit really does, right? Because there's things in our hearts. We, you know, there's a, I, I really believe that as, we, as we're, as Holy Ghost-filled believers, now our hearts are being unfolded and they're being healed. And God wants to keep, if you ever stop growing, you, you'll know because you'll stop feeling that conviction. You'll stop looking for more and, and there'll never be any pain you just kind of like coasting along right sometimes it hurts a little bit because it's god's going to lead you into some things i've been he's been leading me through things lately and opening up my heart about things that maybe i doubted or i was scared or i got wounded early in my life you know and i, I 
he's helping me heal there. And, and he's, and, but that's, I don't always know what I need to pray about. I don't even know what I, and so there, this, the Holy Ghost is a, is a, is a, a, a communication channel to God that we could never do on our own. Because, again, we'll sit there and tell him all the things we think ought to be happening. Mm-hmm. Romans 8, 26 and 27, Paul wrote, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as for as we ought. Right? Because we're in a process of perfection. Right? We're in the sanctification process. We don't know if, how we're supposed to pray. We don't pray perfectly. But the Spirit will pray perfectly. The Spirit itself himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what the, is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God that's unpack that I'm not going to take a lot of time to unpack that scripture that is a deep scripture he knows what's in your heart he knows the obviously he knows the mind of his own spirit do you see how that's a communication channel you could never do on your own so we need his word and his holy Spirit, and even, and so we can communicate God with God in prayer, and even Jesus prayed regularly because he took on limitations upon himself in his humanity. Right when he became, when he put, he he was fully man and fully God, but the human part had limitations, just like we do. And as a man, Jesus prayed often and fervently to demonstrate how we might have intimate communication with God. And we're to follow his example and pray continually. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean you can't stop to get a breath or talk or go eat your cereal or whatever, you know, but we should continually be praying. We, should, we need to keep cultivating. We need, to, we need that prayer life. You ever swim underwater? Once in a while, you got to come up for some air. Right? It's okay that you're swimming for a while, but eventually you need to get back to the source of life or you're going to drown. So second, we have to examine how we... So after we, we've looked at how we communicate with God and how he communicates with us, but we have to look how we communicate with our fellow man. <clears throat> it goes without saying that no filthy communication should escape from the lips uh, of a Christian, whether, whether you say it in, in, as a joke or, or you're, you're, do, you're really passionate and earnest about it. Colossians 3, 5 through 8 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and what's that last one, Brother Carson? Obscene talk from our mouth. And James talks about this really clearly. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. When we speak in anger, we fail to show God's love. Right? We've been talking about that the last couple weeks. When we're speaking to a family member or we're speaking to... Listen, I was at, I was at the drugstore and they had my mortar all messed up. I got to go cross town now later tonight to go pick up this stupid prescription that I gotta have and I was just frustrated and I, and I could feel like I was angry right? it's not a sin to get angry okay it's what you do with it right and I, I but I really you know there were words in my mind that I would because words are like toothpaste once you push it out you can't get it back in <clears throat> so we have to our communication should always come forth in a loving manner. Otherwise, our testimony is damaged. And we damage the name of Jesus Christ because we're his people. We're walking around. I got one of these really nice jackets. Remember they sold these a few years ago? You want to know what? It's got this on it. One of the reasons I, I like wearing it is it reminds me. I got to be accountable because I don't want to embarrass my church and I don't want to embarrass my God. And I was walking out of that drugstore. I was walking out of that drugstore, and uh, that was on my mind. I was like, man, I really wanted to let them have it in there. I was really frustrated with it. It was a whole thing. You ever, you know, you ever been in line and, you know, like every pot, like the person, like, can't get their stuff together, and they don't, and, uh, and now the person, wait, I want to get some gum. I was just like, come on, I, I, I'm in a hurry. 
So I had to be careful. And, and the best way to be sure what comes from our mouths is to be, it, that, that that is pure, is to be aware of what's in our hearts. See, it's not just, I'm going to keep saying this probably the rest of my life, God's not interested in just changing your behavior. He's interested in changing your heart. Yes. Because if all he needed, to do, if all he was trying to do was change his behavior, we should just get into this, into some legalistic stuff, and just go back to the Old Testament. He wants to change our hearts. You get your heart right, your behavior will be fine. That's right. So Jesus, um, Jesus reminded the Pharisees in Luke six forty five, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Right. So. If our hearts are filled with ungodliness, eventually it comes forth in our speech, no matter how hard you try to restrain it. And of course, our most important communication to other people should be the fulfillment of Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? We got to communicate the gospel. We got to bring this gospel message to the world. We got to tell them about Jesus Christ because the de world desperately needs to hear it. And sometimes that's just in our actions. That's true. Um, Sorry, my notes weren't exactly in order as it was on there. Um, and as Holy Ghost-filled believers, we should constantly be examining our communication. I felt convicted writing this. <laughs> <clears throat> I feel more convicted saying it because I don't. I don't. I don't. I know, brother, no, you teach Phil. You guys teach Bible studies. You ever feel convicted and be like, man, I don't want to be a hypocrite up here? <laughs> There's scripture on that. Um, but so. But we have to always be looking at the tone, uh, uh, not only of our words, but how about some forms of communications like email and text message? Mm -hmm. Like, that is so easy to misread. Yes. You know? You ever accidentally have your caps lock on and not realize it? And somebody's like, why are you shouting at me? And I'm like, I just had my caps lock on, you know? And, and, and how, many, how many arguments I've heard about and seen and people get all frustrated with each other going back and forth. You know, if it takes you more than like, 30 seconds for that, that communication, you're probably just better off calling them that you'd be done. But we can get off, off track with these. And, and sometimes it's easy to get, get behind the safety of a computer screen and let that lead you to harsh or ungodly words towards others. We hear all kinds of stuff out there on social media about people being bullied, sometimes to the point where people commit suicide. Because it's easy. They can't smack you in the nose. When I was a kid, you know, you had to be careful about mouthing off because somebody was going to pop you off, you know, or go get their friends or something. But now you can just hide behind one of these things. And we have to be careful. We don't, that, that can't be us. We also have to think about our body language and our, our facial expressions to, towards other people. Uh, the lady that cuts my hair said, you know, you got, you, you got a mean mug. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I had somebody call and said I was the friendliest looking person on our website. She says, no, you just don't, you know, you don't smile that much. And I, 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 that bothered me. So now every time I go in, I'm thinking I'm, I'm smiling when I come in the studio. Right? Because our body language can communicate anger and, 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 and disdain towards somebody, sometimes even hate. You don't even realize it. And when we're engaged in conversation, you know, sometimes that's what you're feeling. And you're trying to pretend that you're, everything's okay. But when we're engaged in conversation, we, as we get ready to speak, we should ask ourselves these questions. And you've probably heard this somewhere, but there's biblical background for it. Is it true? Exodus 20 and 16 says, you shall not bear false witness. Is what you're going to say, is it the truth? Hey, I'm in total agreement with you. I think we ought to do it that way. If you're not really in agreement, don't say that. How about this? Is it kind? Titus 3.2 says, Speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So is it true and is it kind? And the third one, is it necessary? Proverbs 11.22. I, I fail this one a lot. I, I have a lot of unnecessary talk, I think. Proverbs 11:22 says, "Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion." <laughs> That's pretty graphic, right? Right? You got to have discretion, right? Is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? There ought to be like a three gates before you open your mouth that that goes through. <laughs> goes through. 
So what happens when we have poor communication? I, I read an article uh, as I was getting ready for this, and it said that uh, this was about poor communication in the workplace. I read a lot of leadership stuff, mm -hmm. so this is kind of the stuff I run into. But I think this is not just the workplace. This, is, this could be any group of people, and especially the church. Think about this in the church. When we have poor communication, it leads to things like lower morale. Everybody's grumpy and grouchy. We're not communicating with each other well. That's, we don't, we can't, we can't, imagine walking into a church and everybody's all bummed out and frustrated with each other. How about reduced productivity? We're not going to accomplish much if we don't communicate. I don't want to be a church that, ain't, that isn't producing with no fruit. I, I don't want to be that. Uh, how about lack of innovation? You'll never, you'll never come up with anything new or do anything new. And, and, and it's not just, it's not just m me as an individual, but we collectively have to create the atmosphere. It's not just that I need to be a good communicator, but I need to create the atmosphere where somebody else can communicate. That's where new ideas, creative ideas die. Because people feel they're going to be ridiculed or not taken seriously or they're going to be, you know, something, they're just going to be, you know, there's a negative reaction. You're never going to get any new, and some people have great ideas. Not all ideas are great, except most of mine. <laughs> My wife doesn't agree. <clears throat> um, how about recruitment? So in the workplace... It's low recruitment. You can't get anybody to come work there if, every, if you got bad communication. Do you think you can get anybody to come to church if you got bad communication going on there? I don't want low recruitment in my church. How, and then turnover. It lead, poor communication leads to turnover. Everybody leaves their job. Uh, you don't think the same thing happens in the church? When we aren't communicating, people are going to leave. And perhaps maybe even more than... In the workplace, I think these things are true because when we have that poor communication, we'll see people feeling discouraged and frustrated. We won't produce fruit. We won't have any new ideas. We won't get any new converts, if any. You know, we might get a few, and there'll be people leaving. We don't. We don't want that. Poor communication robs us. So back to back to us because I know we're all here just for us. But poor. That was a joke. All right, everybody. <laughs> Let's let the tension out. I'm trying to. Am I not communicating this well? <laughs> poor, poor communication, though it does. It robs you of peace and joy. Yes. And we should be enjoying that. As whole, we're Holy Ghost filled believers. We to, I heard. I said this. A, I don't know. Think two weeks ago. I, I, was, I was at a conference and I heard Ken Gurley say, "We ought to look like we're having fun in the kingdom." That I, I, people ought to come in and go. That looks like a lot of fun. I want to be part of that. Right. Right? And, but if we don't have peace and joy, if we don't have good communication, we're not going to have that peace and joy. We're not going to look like we're having fun because we're not going to be. Jesus showed us that, 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 that peace is a great weapon against spiritual wickedness. He said in uh, John 14 and 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world uh, gives do I give to you? Let your hearts not be let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. We don't think of peace as a weapon, but it's a weapon because and it's probably the most underrated weapon in, in spiritual warfare because Jesus' peace is different. We think of peace from our mindset, but Jesus' peace is different. His peace destroys that spiritual darkness because unlike the world's peace, which is usually shallow and it's based on situational factors. The peace of Jesus brings us into true harmony with one another and into more harmony with God. Ever, you ever notice some people are, love to speak against things? Right? They like to talk about the things they don't like or they're not good at. Right? I, you know, I, I could be speaking against bowling. I'm not good at bowling. I'm not good at most sports or games, I think. But I could speak against those things, right? I could say, oh, that pickleball. Well, that's really stupid. I don't know why we wasted all that money. That's a big waste of space in there. We could be doing something really cool down there. <laughs> why would I? Because I'm not good at it, right? And, and the truth is, though, it's, it's, that's easy to do. It's easy to find stuff, and it's easy to find somebody to agree with you. And it's, we, that's why people do it, because it's easy to get a response. And, and while we might speak against things and get a response and attract some people, maybe some followers, some people to go with us, just being contrary is not a sustainable basis for relationships. 
And what happens is we start creating an issue-oriented culture. If we're always finding fault with, fault with something or with, with other people, we start becoming focused on issues. And issue-oriented communicators typically don't need to study or prepare what they say. All they need to do to get an anxious response from their listeners is find something or someone to be against. Even if all they can come up with is the devil. It's easy to be against the devil, right? It's always get to somebody to say, easy to say, get somebody to say amen or get a response if you're, if you're preaching against Satan. <clears throat> but relationships built on a constant raising, raising of issues is just, you, that's not going to, that doesn't last because it's a steady diet of negativity and finger pointing and calling out things you don't like. And while that might solicit cheap responses of agreement, it will also attract a certain mentality of people that will never have a positive impact on the community. It's not going to affect anything positively by being negative. Does that make sense? And so peace is a culture um, that must, must continually be initiated and reinforced. Our homes should be a place of peace. Amen? And the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing that is because when peace reigns in a home, there's priceless rewards that come. But when you have chaos ruling your home and the family's going all kinds of different directions at once, it, it, that can be pretty costly. We, we, I'll leave that alone. We, we, we should love peace. Right? We should love peace. We should covet peace. We should... That, I know the Bible speaks against coveting, but we can covet peace, all right? That's not the coveting it's, it, 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 that, that, the, that God doesn't want us to have. We should covet peace. We should cherish it. We should love when we're all getting along with each other. Paul said in uh, uh, Romans 14 and 19, this is the King James Version, follow after the things which make for peace. So, what, because, so following that, we should follow after peaceful things. We should be... Uh, listening to peaceful music or reading peaceful books uh, doing peaceful recreational activities I'm not sure pickleball falls in that but <laughs> not with Phil anyway but <laughs> peaceful people to spend time with right you hang out with the rabble rousers you you end up screaming give us Barabbas we I, I, I smiled when I was reading this because uh I don't know, my, my radio was on this talk radio station, and I won't name names, but the guy was just shouting, and he was angry, and, and I was like, man, I don't want to listen to this. I was like, this is robbing my play. Like, how am I going to come and talk about peace listening to this guy? How am I going to have peace? That's the thing. It's like you, we get bombarded with this stuff all the time. It's all over the place, and it's getting worse. Yeah. Yes. Right? When I was a kid, there used to be stuff on at least that was like you could get on like I don't know. I'd come home after school, and what was the uh, gentle Ben? Remember the yes. bear guy, right? I was like, that was peace. It wasn't like all like the Waltons would be on. I'm not trying to champion worldly things, but there are no shows like that. I don't think anymore. I don't know. I don't watch TV, so somebody could correct me. But generally, it's all violence and anger. There's so much of that out there. So we got to be careful because that has an effect on us. You know, it, it comes in and then it bounces right back out. <clears throat> I got a, I got this. Uh, uh, I'm gonna make a few references to this, but I'm reading a book uh, by Stan Gleason called *The Unflawed Leader*. I highly recommend. It. It's real good. He told this story. A family was on the way home from church one Sunday when one of the boys in the back seat began to cry. The dad asked, "Son, what's wrong with you?" And the boy wiped his eyes and said, well, Dad, you heard the pastor this morning. He said, every child in our church deserves to go home with a family where there's love, joy, and peace. But I want to stay with you guys. <laughs> so, so a great example. Obviously, Jesus is our greatest example. But another example we find in the Bible of somebody who, who <coughs> demonstrated peace, showed what peace looks like, what walking in peace looks like, that's the Apostle Paul. He had a lot of stormy conflicts. He had a lot of dangers. He had a lot of things coming, coming into his life, people coming after him, trying to kill him and everything, put him in prison. But he valued, despite all that, he valued peace and he used it as a spiritual weapon to advance the kingdom of God and, and, and grow himself for his spiritual vitality. And maybe the principal reason why Paul could live his life in that climate of peace is because he was in charge of his own spirit and in touch with God. 
Right? You can't do this on your own. You've got to have the Holy Ghost. And you've got to be in a constant relationship with Jesus. It's not just going to happen. Um, and while Paul was in prison, he wrote to, to the believers in Philippi that he couldn't seem to choose between life and death because either one of them was to his benefit. Right? He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So, so he apparently was at peace. Whatever happens, I'm good. If I die, great. I'm going to be with Jesus. If not, it's good for you. I can help you. Paul showed a, uh, the high value that he placed upon peace um, in that same letter in chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. He said, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything in, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely... Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, which you've learned and received and heard in me, practice these things. There's a whole laundry list of things you do do, because here's the result. The God of peace will be with you. I want the God of all Amen. peace to be with me. <clears throat> he, Paul identified peace as the mitigator of anxiety, the guard of his heart or his emotions. When we read the heart, and I'm going to get into this a little bit um, more in a minute, but that's our, that's our emotions. That's our emotional mind. It's not really the, this here pumping blood. But he also said it was, the, it was uh, the guard of his mind and his thoughts. And it was the filter for his meditation choices and his constant companion. Colossians 3.15, Paul showed that God rules our hearts through his peace upon us. He said, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And then in Romans, he wrote that, God, that the God of peace will swiftly crush Satan under our feet. So whatever you're facing, you see, are you seeing how peace is a weapon? It is a weapon against the enemy of your soul. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So God has given us the authority to walk and live in peace. Anybody believe that with me tonight? We have the authority to get peace in our lives. <clears throat> and, and that doesn't mean there's no storms. That's what makes the peace of Jesus different. Because occasionally there's going to be storms that come, and it's going to threaten our peace. Think about when, the, when, when, when the, the disciples were with Jesus and he was sleeping in the boat and they were crossing over and here comes a storm. Now, some of those disciples, I think it's always amazing to me. You know, people say, this is, this is, this not, there's no scripture to support this. They say, God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, there were at least four professional fishermen on that boat. And if anybody could handle a storm, and it was their body of water that they fished in their whole lives, and here comes a storm. Well, what's the big deal of that? They're, they're experienced sailors but they couldn't handle it. It was way more than they could handle. And, and despite all that experience, they fought against that storm with all their ability, but it wasn't until they cried out to Jesus and put him in charge of that storm that the peace was restored. Now he says, peace be still. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out 70 disciples and instructed them to declare peace to every house that they came to. And he told them that if the son of peace received them, that they should stay there. If he didn't receive them, they just shook the dust off and keep on moving. And it's interesting because the meaning of son of peace means one who is worthy of such a blessing. Somebody who's peaceable and kind and does not fight against God. So that shows us that when we're, when we're at peace with God, we will be at peace with other sons of peace. And Jesus' implicit lesson here was that the 70 shouldn't waste their time with people who weren't ready for peace. Okay? Don't get entangled in arguments with people. Don't get entangled in fights with people. Just move on. Jesus never said, blessed are the peacekeepers. Because it's impossible to keep peace. People are going to, we're going to have conflicts. I'm going to talk about that in a second, but we're going to have conflicts. But he did say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Makers, right. Because it's usually possible to make peace. Romans 12 and 18, Paul said, if it's possible, as much as depends on you, 
I love that. <laughs> Live peaceably with all men. I love that he reminds us that sometimes you're going to run into somebody that just they ain't going to live peaceably with you. No matter what you do, just do what you can do. But if they just refuse, you got to move on. We just shake the dust off and move on. But in every other instance, we should make every effort to create, recover, or maintain peace. Hebrews 12 and 11 kind of shows us that, the making, that making peace produces the fruit of righteousness. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. On the other hand, I think we can also say that manifesting unrighteousness in our, is the fruit produced by a lack of peace. Hebrews 12 and 14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Uh, now, and I think that's probably typoed on there, it says no on, but it's no one, I promise you. We hear a lot about the holiness part of that. That gets preached a lot, but what, th those go together. How are you going to have holiness without peace? I think living in peace, this verse tells us that living in peace and reaching for peace makes it a holiness issue. In other, in other words, if we're the sons of peace that we were just talking about, we'll present Christ to everyone around us, and we will one day see the Prince of Peace face to face. Amen? Verse 11 assures us that when peace is restored, it'll once again produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I'm going to go back. Brother Gleason in that book said, I try to keep, he said this, I try to keep all my relationship accounts short. My default response is to place everyone in the best possible motive column. This keeps my mind free from the peace robbers of suspicion and doubt. I love to make peace, and as far as I know, I do not have an enemy in the world. There is nothing like reestablishing peace where there was once division. I was like, that's a beautiful way to live your life. I love that phrase. I'm going to keep all my relationship accounts short. Yeah. You're walking around like somebody owes you something, you need to reconcile. Is that a good, right? I got an accountant back there, so. <clears throat> Paul told the believers in Rome that the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So one-third of those primary dynamics within the kingdom of God is peace, and all three of them operate through the Holy Ghost. And the writer of Hebrews closed his, the epistle like this, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's, it's a progression. See, it doesn't stop. That peace is part of our growth. If we don't have peace, we're not growing spiritually. You should be increasing in peace, and if you're not, there's something spiritually wrong. I'm not saying that to like chastise anybody, but it's, it, it, there's something you need to be working out. Paul... <clears throat> Well, it's easy to make peace and be a peacemaker when, when we have positive feelings, when everything's going good, right? When we're all getting along and you got a little kerfuffle, you can't agree on where you're going to go eat. That's, that's easy to make peace, right? But there's times when we get hurt by the things that other people say and do, right? Anybody still get hurt even though you got the Holy Ghost? Jesus explained a powerful principle when he said, It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but rather what comes out of him. Matthew 15, 17, 19, he said, Do, not, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart? And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And remember, you know, when he, when he spoke on that Sermon on the Mount, right, he talked about, it just has to be in your heart. You don't have to actually kill him. You just, you, you hate him. You're guilty. You're guilty of murder. And, and so how we process, process those hurtful events, things that sometimes people do stuff that just, you might have somebody do something that just crushed you. There's going to be fiery trials and there's going to be difficult people and how we deal with them exposes what we're made of. And just because something happens to us doesn't mean it has to have a negative effect within us. It doesn't have to end up in this defilement. 
God decides what we go through, but we, de we decide how we're going to go through it. Amen. Fiery trials, well, I'm, I'm a, this is a quote, another quote from, from Brother Gleason. Fiery trials have different effects on different people. It has been said that the sun melts wax and hardens clay. What makes the difference is the composition of the material under the heat of the sun. We can learn to be tempered by the fire in our lives and let it help us understand where the people we interact with are at in their hearts, burn away our arrogance, and advance our growth and development. Now, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, the, the, the three, we call them the three Hebrew boys, uh, my shack, your shack, and a, and a bungalow, <laughs> when they came out of that fiery furnace, the scripture says their bands were burned away and they didn't smell like smoke. There was no evidence that they'd been in that fire. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul said that the fire reveals the materials we've used to build our life. Wood, hay, stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. If you've built your life with inferior materials, the fire will burn you up and you won't last. If you have built your life with precious materials, gold, silver, and jewels, I'm not saying riches here, understand, we're talking spiritual things, the fire will only purge and perfect you. <clears throat> but the prerequisite for fire burning you better rather than burning you up is to first recognize that you're on fire. Right? If anybody's ever had something catch on fire and you didn't realize it, you know, it can get away from you real quickly. You gotta know that you're on fire. And the Holy Spirit is likened to fire uh, in, in Scripture. When fire is burning in the right place, it provides heat energy, light, incineration, right? You can destroy bad things. But when it's not managed, it's immensely destructive. But fortunately, what the enemy means for evil, God can turn into something good, amen? We, might, we have to recognize that when we're on fire and then take measures to control it for our good. I, I, I include this because the question is not, am I going to be hurt? Communication generally falls apart when you're hurt. Because it's not whether you're going to be hurt, it's what are you gonna do when you're hurt. What are you going to do with it? You are going to be hurt. So are you going to become angry and bitter and receive offense into your spirit? Or are you going to pray and stay humble and seek God, forgive, and walk the high road? I got another quote from Brother Gleason. He calls this the hurt test. right? He writes, have you passed the hurt test? It could be your next, the next step to your promotion by God. I'm going to let that sink in. Your hurt may be a test that is a step for your promotion by God. It could also be the reason you haven't yet been promoted. I watched as my father successfully passed the hurt test. Those that hurt him eventually lost influence, but God continued to give him great honor and promotion until the day he died. The grindstone of life will either grind us down or polish us up. We can choose to be stumbling blocks or stepping stones for those that follow us. It has been said that you can't keep a good man down. I would add that you can't keep a bad man up. If you, if you pass the hurt test, God has greater things in store for you. If you fail the hurt test, your future will be very limited. The people we, that we serve deserve leadership without the smell of smoke on their spirit. Bitterness is an acid that destroys its own container, but forgiveness is an ointment that heals everything it touches. Most of the hurt in our relationship comes from two things, miscommunication and misunderstanding, right? Flip sides of the same coin. These lead to conflicts, and most of us avoid conflicts, but they usually don't go away. It's a pro you know, if I ever do write a book, I really want to, I guarantee there'll be a chapter on this because I'm, gonna, I'm a conflict approach person. Not saying I like it. My, my flesh always wants to run away and avoid and just not deal with it because it's easier to say, I don't want to deal with that right now. But what happens? It's like ignoring a brain tumor, right? It's just going to keep growing. And it's going to, you know, I can take a pill and feel better today, but I don't want to get the surgery to take the tumor out because that's a big deal. But we, we have to confront the conflicts. It, it, it's healthy to do that. We can learn to do that. We, we've talked about it the last couple of weeks uh, a little bit. But we have to confront rather than avoid our conflicts. Proverbs 9, I got scripture to back this up. Proverbs 19 11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs 6, 2 through 5 says, If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come to, into the hand of your neighbor. 
Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So yeah, it's best if we can move on. Just forgive and move on when you're offended. Quickly forgive. But sometimes... But, First, let me say this. We really need to, for, we need to really forgive. Right. That means it's wiped off the ledger permanently. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, most of the time when we say we forgive someone, we really have just put them on probation. And when they cross us again, that past offense all comes back. Mm-hmm. When we can't, so we should, all, we should always just, it's better to always just let it go. But when we can't let it go, the scripture is very clear here that we need to quickly confront the conflict and, and find some kind of resolution. I like that. Don't even go to sleep. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. <laughs> right? So I got a few tools here um, for, for, for communicating in conflicts. <clears throat> and the first is listening. That doesn't mean just hearing. Right. Listening is more than hearing. James 1.19, we, heard, we read this one earlier, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That means shut up and listen. Especially when you're angry. Stop and listen. That's hard to do. Stephen Covey, uh, one of my favorite books of all time, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, one of his habits that he listed was seek first to understand and then be understood. We're so usually so in a rush for people to understand where I'm coming from. Then I don't take time to listen to where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I don't, has, that ever, has that ever worked? Nope. Somebody raise your hand if that works for you. <laughs> right? So we need to listen and we need to reflect. And, and our emotional brains, I said I was going to get into this, just a, a little lesson on our brain. you got an emotional brain. That's called the limbic system. In Scripture, it's called the heart. Okay? Or it's called the flesh. And, and, and it doesn't care about long-term consequences. It wants to be, its needs met right now. And it either responds by a perception of a threat or a hurt, um, and, it, and, it's, and it wants to escape pain and chase pleasure. And our emotional brain will increasingly take over our minds. It can take over your thinking. We, we got to get that because I'm telling you, we, we, have ignored, we ignore this sometimes in church. We, we, we think, well, you know, you, we, got, we still have this brain. God wired us this way. And sometimes those emotions take over, and you're like, well, why did they act like that, or why did they do that? Well, maybe this, their emotions took over, right? Sometimes we make bad choices because our emotional brain took over, so that was a good idea to say that, or it was a good idea to do that. And it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> you ever, am I the only one that stepped back and been like, I shouldn't have said that? <laughs> um, so uh, what happens is that emotional brain can take over our minds, and it decreases the rational thoughts. It's not a rational system. It's an emotional system. And, and until that emotion is trying to communicate, is recognized and acknowledged, it just keeps getting louder. Right? You can watch two people having an argument, and, and there's, a, there's a concept called mutual escalation. <laughs> right? And it's, just, and it's just like, and I'm, gonna, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it's like emotional ping pong. You're just going back and forth, and it's getting louder and louder, and the, and the words are getting harsher and harsher. And pretty soon, you're not even talking about what the issue is. You're calling each other names and defending something that has nothing to do with, you know, whatever it was. Right? This is what happens. And so, and I, you know, one of the most complex, this hit me uh, last year. Just a, I've been studying this stuff for a really long time, but it hit me one day. I was thinking, I was talking to somebody, and I was like, you know, it occurs to me that one of the most complex systems in our bodies is this right here. These facial muscles. A bunch of tiny little muscles, lots of nerves. It's, it, it can do amazing things, but it only has one purpose. It's to express emotion. It doesn't do anything else. Right? It's, it's not for any... God could have made us with something that, you know, we could talk and not express any emotion, you know? So... If God thought it was so important to give us such a complex system to express how we feel, then it stands to reason that we should make effort to read what is being communicated and to check to make sure we're getting the message correctly. Amen. 
So when somebody's emotional brain or their heart or limbic system, whatever you want to call it, has a message that's not being heard, like I said, it tends to get louder. And when it knows that the message has been understood and received, it calms down and the person will be open to listening. So that's what Covey was getting at. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. So reflective, we, one of the tools for that is reflective listening. There are four main steps involved in reflective listening, and that is you listen to the other person's message. What do you got to say? Now, sometimes our emotions are too high. I'm, I'm going to get into that in a second. It's really hard, but we should listen. And then we should analyze what's the meaning of this from their perspective. Now, I'm gonna, again, I'm gonna touch, my, step, my tools kind of overlap, so forgive me, but reflect that message back to the speaker. So what you're telling me, Sister Ellen, is that my tie is really offensive to you, <laughs> right? Because, A, B, you know, whatever it is, right? And, and you know what happens when you do that and you get it wrong and the person goes, no, that's, that's not it. Right. It's this. They don't get mad at you that you're getting it wrong because you're trying. Right. And, when you, and I'm telling you, when you, if you master this, if you don't master anything else tonight, master this, learning to, 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 to <clears throat> get, clarify that person's message and let them know you hear them, yeah. you will find you don't have to convince them. They'll calm down and they'll say, well, I don't really think it's like that. Reflect back to the speaker and confirm that you properly understood because it, they'll calm down. You can now have, ra their emotional, when the emotional brain takes over, rational thinking goes out the window, okay? Logic goes out the window. But when the, when the, when the emotional brain feels like it's heard, it calms down, it lets us think and, and use reason. <clears throat> so a, a similar idea is what I call Holding on, you know, you know, remember the kid when you were a kid? I don't know, do kids play hot potato anymore? Yes. Right? You got to catch the hot potato. And you're supposed to throw it as soon as possible, like it's burning your hands. Well, that's what usually conflicts and arguments are, is hot potato. We're, we're mutual escalating. We're throwing back and forth. There's some emotion. Right? Well, how does that stop? That's what I say. You watch, a, watch somebody in public. Like, go to Walmart and watch an argument happening, right? <laughs> well, there's always an argument going on in Walmart. So. <laughs> right? Or, or watch me at the CVS. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? It, it, it's going back and forth. And so, how does that stop? Somebody catches it and say, okay, no matter how bad I feel, I'm going to find out what you're trying to tell me. Okay? Proverbs 15 and 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. We have to avoid that mutual escalation, and we'll be more successful when we're aware of our weak points. So uh, I'm a pretty open book. My, my life has been full of a lot of rejection, and I'm really sensitive to anything that threatens that, that sounds like that, that feels like Sometimes it's not even rejection. It's just me misunderstanding or a miscommunication or, or whatever. And sometimes it is rejection, but I got to learn to be, be, be okay, that that's all right. You know, there's a deeper meaning to that. I'll, I'll get off that track, but we got, I know my weak points. So when I run into a situation where I experience rejection, I'm ready. See what I'm saying? If you don't know what your weak points are, you're not ready for the fight. So successful communication, especially in conflict, depends on our ability to deal effectively with our own hurt feelings and fears. We need to be able to withstand our own emotional response because our emotional brain will take over. Our heart wants to, our flesh wants to take over and let them have it. And so if we can do that with the power of the Holy Ghost. Yes. You ain't going to do it on your own. I'm a psychologist. I'm the best psychologist I know. I, 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 without the Holy Ghost, I don't think this is really possible. Psalm 14, or sorry, Psalm 141 and 3 says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Colossians 4 and 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And Proverbs 12 and 18 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Next step is never argue with the limbic system. It's not rational, right? It doesn't make sense to argue with an emotion. Right. <laughs> Why are you trying to apply logic to an emotion? That doesn't make any sense. It's the wrong, it's like trying to plug your Apple product into an Android. It ain't gonna communicate. <clears throat> it, it runs on emotions such as fear and desire. And, and, and sometimes it's better just to put things on pause, take a time out. 
and come back to the conflict. You know, especially married couples ought to, ought to have a, you know, you ought to be able to say, hey, you know what, maybe we ought to just push pause on this. Let's not talk about this right now. Let's come back to this later. I got, I got the married couple that taught, taught us on marriage. Y'all, y'all ever make use of that? I mean, you want to come back and resolve it. Don't push it. You know what happens is people put it on pause and then they don't come back. You got to come back and resolve it. Don't let it fester. But right now, maybe it's just best to leave it alone. And, and so one of the concepts, and, and this goes with that mutual escalation, is I've learned to let the premise be true. Sometimes somebody will say, well, like a kid will tell a parent, you don't love me. <laughs> okay, when I remember my son saying that to me, and I got mad. I was like, how can you say that? And I wanted to let him have it. But we got to let the premise be true. That doesn't mean I have to agree with you. So, so Proverbs 18 and 2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Right? i got to understand why you're saying that. And since that heart, that limbic system is irrational, the reasons for the other person's emotions might seem unjust, unfair, illogical. It wasn't true, I didn't, it wasn't true that I didn't love my son. He just didn't like what I was telling him he couldn't do. <laughs> Right, and and so when we're operating, but but his emotions got the best of him. He really wanted it. He didn't think it was fair, and right, and, and, and so it doesn't have to be logical when we're operating out of that survival system. And our tendency is usually when somebody does that to to point out the irrationality and prove that we're right. We like to be right, but you can be in harmony or you can be right, <laughs> right? You, you, and and so that's like throwing gas. When we try to prove we're right and how they're wrong, it's, it's, it's like throwing gas on a fire instead of water because it delegitimizes what they're feeling. But if we'll take time to listen to that premise and apply it to ourselves. So like with my situation with my son, you know, the best response to that, you parents, is to say, you know, if I had a dad who didn't love me, didn't really care about my happiness and well-being, I'd be so upset. I'd be so hurt. I'd be, I'd be, dead. I'd be lost. When you respond to somebody's problem, I didn't say I agreed that that was true. I just said, well, if that was true, how would, it, how would I feel? Right. I think you're lying to me. Well, how can you say that? You know what? If you were lying to me, I'd feel like, right? The emotion is, is, is usually accurate. We, it, so Proverbs 18 and 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And I got one more point. I got two minutes and I'm going to make it. So... <laughs> Turn the third. The last one is turn down the tension. And this is a good rule, especially for married couples, but any two people really. Make an agreement. Make a covenant with each other. You're not going to talk about anything important or anything that's high emotion, high stress stuff. Like I want to go. Lisa, I really. I went and bought a truck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Don't talk about that unless your body is relaxed. Unless your muscles. Are, it's, you know why? Because you can't yell when your muscles are relaxed. I did, go home, when you get home, don't do it now, but try it later. Get all your muscles relaxed and try to yell. You can't do it. You can't do it. You have to, you have to generate some tension to do that. And, and it also relaxes your mind. It allows that flesh to calm down. It allows that emotional brain to, because you can't, I don't know how to relax your mind, but I do know every, every relaxation technique I know, it starts with your body. You relax your body, your mind will follow. So, it, and it should, so you make that agreement with each other. We have to be totally relaxed. We're going to talk about big stuff, conflicts. And it should be within bounds to say, hey, look, you look really tense right now. That ought to be part of the deal. Let's push pause. Okay? Because it's, it's, it's a good time to push the pause button because it's extremely unlikely that the conflict will be, be resolved under those conditions. 2 Timothy 2.16 says, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. We need to avoid irreverent babble, stupid arguments. Psalm 19 and 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Would Jesus talk to him that way? Would you talk to him if Jesus was standing between you? Would you say that stuff? Well, guess what? He's standing right here. You think you're behind some tree talking? Okay. All right. I'm going to close with this scripture here. Ephesians 4 and 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. What a beautiful scripture about communication.
Our talk should not corrupt, it shouldn't anger, it shouldn't tear down. Our words should always be edifying. It's okay to exhort, but we should be encouraging and building each other up, loving the people around us, just not, not tearing down or destroying. Jesus didn't tear anybody down, he built people up. And like Jesus, we should always speak life, not death.